This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. So when Liz Truss was the International Trade Secretary, she received plaudits for rolling over so many of the UK's free trade deals and striking new deals with countries like New Zealand. But the one country that has never been cracked so far is America. And Katie, today we're hearing that actually a US trade deal might not ever happen. Can you tell us about what's going on there? So these are comments that Liz Truss made on the flight over to New York, where she's at the United Nations summit and that's her first international summit since becoming prime minister and she was talking with the press pack about a trade deal she said there isn't currently any negotiation taking place with the US and I don't have an expectation that those are going to start in the short to medium term now this is significant for a few reasons I think it's worth pointing out though that on the US side Joe Biden I think when he met Boris Johnson one bilaterals played down the idea of a US UK trade deal so it's not come completely out of the blue but I think the reason why it's interesting and has caused a bit of a stir back home is the fact that Liz Truss has always been one of the people uh, in terms of this government who's been the most pro a trade deal and she was of course international trade secretary and at the time she definitely riled number 10 because she felt as though one of the big briefs or the you know, things to do in her role was try and get this UK-US trade deal. At the time, you had Donald Trump as president. Now, he would talk a good game on that trade deal. Obviously, when you get into the details, uh, I think you'd be in a point where he would perhaps want a lot for it, but he was pro the idea in theory, and she wanted to push something through and get things moving. And aides and dietary were very much of a different view and would ultimately try and get Liz Truss to not talk about a trade deal under all costs. Because ahead of the 2019 election, they felt it as though it could be very politically toxic. They didn't want the election campaign, knowing that there would be one fairly soon, uh, with no real majority in Parliament, to be all about chlorinated chicken. But she kept pushing for it, much to their annoyance. And also in Cabinet, I remember writing at the time, there was this divide between what uh, were deemed the Waitrose protectionists, and those, you know, you Michael Gove, you George Eustace, Zach Goldsmith even, and then people well, like... previous generation of politicians now. <laughs> exactly, people like Liz Truss, who I think that's her eyes, you know, the, the little free marketeers, so they're saying will actually worry less about what this means farmers, we want cheaper food on the shelves. And now, as you just alluded to, Cindy, we have a situation where Liz Truss is Prime Minister, the Waitrose protectionists, inverted commas for anyone I'm offending, they are now out. Backbenchers all in Zach Goldsman's case, he has been relieved in his death for brief, even if he now has a foreign office brief. So what I think supporters of Liz Truss dubbed the axis of evil in terms of protectionism is out of government in a way where they would have that effect. So it's quite striking that she's now playing down the prospect. Now, I think this just points to two things. The first is that Joe Biden is just not where Donald Trump was on trade and all the music from the um, the White House has been that this is not a priority of theirs and it's why actually when you speak to ministers in government they're far more animated about talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership that the UK has applied to join which they hope to join by the end of the year which obviously would open more markets in terms of North America, Canada, Japan, Australia on this. Now America is not currently and um, Donald Trump pulled out of that but I think there is a view that perhaps the way you get to more trade with America is you join it and then 
a later date the US joins mm. um, so I think that that's been for a while seen as a more likely option now Biden's in place but I think in terms of why she said it now ahead of this trip where she has her first big sit down meeting with Joe Biden ultimately Liz Truss has made fixing the protocol a key priority she spoke about it a lot during leadership she did some of this when she was foreign secretary in terms of her plan to unilaterally through legislation change parts of the protocol a plan which Brussels have seen read over there's a concern in the US and what you often hear US politicians will can say on this is well you shouldn't do this because that's going to threaten a trade deal mm. I think by accepting publicly perhaps what was on the writing on the wall already that a trade deal is not about to happen anytime soon it makes it harder for that to be used as, as a threat against what she plans to do on the protocol James, I'm going to be slightly play devil's advocate from a Remainer perspective here. Um, if you think back to 2016 and the years shortly after that when we were negotiating what kind of Brexit we wanted, it does feel like various Brexit dividends um, that were talked about, there were many, but also included a trade deal with America. It seems like the Brexit opportunities that we were promised haven't quite come through as David Frost himself accused the government of doing. And now a trade deal with America is not coming through either. So was Brexit... Um, worth it (laughs) i think the fundamental challenge is this is the uk chose to negotiate a pretty clean brexit it didn't choose to stay in the customs union or stay in the single market the benefit of that is that it allows you to diverge to choose to do things that your own way if you want to and i think the argument is that the uk hasn't done very much of that since and so in some ways what was the point in negotiating the right to do all these things differently which obviously comes with a cost in terms of greater barriers to doing trade, if you weren't going to take advantage of that. And I think that is in part, actually, one of the things behind Quasi Quarting's desire to get rid of a cap on bankers' bonuses, which is essentially this argument, which is, hang on a second, one of the arguments for leaving was that you could regulate the City of London as the UK government wished. The UK government, neither the UK government nor the Bank of England thought that this cap on bankers' bonuses was a good idea. You know, I mean, at one point, the, the, the UK government was going to try and take the European Commission to court over it. And so the argument goes, you've got to put your money where your mouth is, and actually set about trying to do these things differently. Because otherwise, if you were going to keep all the EU rules and regulations that you had as a member, why leave with all the hassle that that's involved? So I think you are, I mean, there is, that is one of the big challenges of it. I think secondly on the US free trade deal, I think there is a problem which is that essentially the Biden administration, and you see this actually in, 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 um, in, in the Asia Pacific, right, where as Katie was talking about CTPPP, right, obviously if you were trying to counter China, one of the things the US should be doing is joining that trade pact. But because of the particular demographics of those key electoral college states, right, where lots of industry and agriculture, there is a wariness of free trade in US politics at the moment, which applies more broadly. And I mean, that is one of the things that has made doing a a trade deal with the US more difficult. I think the bigger blow, given how I don't think that a trade deal with the US would actually be transformative. In some ways, the bigger blow would be, you know, all, remember all the talk in the Brexit campaign about, you know, how the EU didn't have deals with fast, the fastest growing economies in the world, think India, China. That is more of a question. Now, Boris Johnson, now I mean, look, a trade deal with China is clearly not on the trust, <laughs> trust team's list of priorities. India is an interesting question. When Boris Johnson was Prime Minister, he was talking about a trade deal by Diwali. It'll be very interesting to see whether that is delivered or not. And Katie, while we're on this international slant, uh, Liz Trust has today also made an announcement about how much Britain is willing to support Ukraine next year. Tell us about that. Yes, so Liz Trust, and she's saying this in her pre-brief, but is basically saying this in her first speech as Prime Minister at the summer, is saying that 
Britain will give Ukraine at least 2.3 billion in military aid. I think this is clearly Liz Truss trying to hit the ground running and we already knew that she is very hawkish on Ukraine. Uh, if you look at her comments, perhaps even goes slightly further than Boris Johnson when it comes to what she thinks or to the level for which you need to push Putin and Russia out. So she's talked about Crimea, which has obviously happened before the February invasion. And I think by pledging this, I think the first is to say that, you know, the UK's support of Ukraine is for the long term and it has not changed through a different leader. It is still the case that the UK wants to be one of Ukraine's biggest supporters. And secondly, I think in terms of bringing other world leaders on side, you're trying to send a signal that uh, the UK can be relied upon and also try and spur others to stick with this. And I think as clearly as we talked about in the podcast in the past week or so, there is, I think, renewed hope that perhaps there could be um, some type of resolution the fact that Ukraine has made some gains of course there's some nerves as to what Putin will do mm. if it looks as though he you know he is up against back against a wall mm. but I think this is again to to send that signal one thing that is quite clear is that Liz Truss wants to indicate that there is there is continuity with Boris Johnson on Ukraine policy. You know, she saw that um, President Zelensky was the first call she made, uh, when she the first international leader call she made when she became Prime Minister. And I mean, that, that that's clearly going to be a theme. I mean, another theme of uh, what she's going to say in, in New York is going to be about you know, the need for the free world to reduce its reliance on, on autocratic states and all that that means, you know, in terms of trade and, and the like. So I think we, we wait to see what happens there, I think on Ukraine, I think the other interesting question now is, and it's something that we'll be looking at in the, this coming issue of the magazine, is you know, I think until recently, the Boris Johnson argument that Putin had sufficient control of the information environment in Ukraine that he could kind of at any moment up sticks, pull out, and then tell his own public that he had achieved what he needed to achieve, was true. I think that I think that ha- that is no given what has happened in the last fortnight. And the kind of public recognition of that within Russia, I mean, that is no longer true. And I mean, we are so we are now in a in a, in a different dynamic, where the question is, you know, is not how far can Ukraine hold off the Russian advance? It's you know, can Ukraine repeat the stunning successes of the past fortnight or so again? Can it consolidate its hold on those territories? And also, what does Vladimir Putin do now? Because I think you know, as William Hague says, and former Foreign Secretary says in the column in the Times today, you know. A mass mobilisation for him in Russia is hugely dangerous because we know that a large segments of Russian public opinion, if not hostile to the war, are hostile to the idea of being sent to go and fight in it themselves. And if you started trying to draft large numbers of young people to do that, that could actually intensify anti-war feeling. But if he's not going to do that, what is his alternative options in terms of the war and what he might do to try and change the dynamic of a situation on the ground? Because... At the moment, it is hard to see in terms of conventional forces what kind of escalatory options he has, given how short Russia appears to be running on, on manpower and equipment. And Katie, finally, today we've had a resignation from Labour MP Rosie Cooper, who is going to move to uh, head up the Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust instead. And that triggers a by-election in her constituency of West Lancashire. Tell us about what that constituency is like. So this is a fairly safe Labour seat in the sense as a majority of around 8,000. Now, if we said a Tory seat had a majority of around 8,000, we might not be calling it safe right now because you just look at the polls and also you look at some of the recent by-elections, record you know, overturning of majorities. So I think if this is a Tory seat, I think there'd be a lot more excite- excitement. There's obviously lots of people saying a by-election, 
sounds like it could be coming up. Will this be a test for both leaders? I think we'd have to get to quite high level of Liz Trust honeymoon, Liz mania for the Tories to have a shot here. Right now, it does not look that way. So I don't think this will be of the uh, famous last words. I'm very happy to prove them wrong, but I don't think this is going to be the same. I don't think this is going to be a Tiverton and a Honiton. Obviously, that had a larger majority, but it was a Tory majority and it was a, it was a record when the Lib Dems managed to overturn it. But it does not at the moment seem as though the ingredients are there for this. I think, it's, I think that, look, Rosie Cooper was subject to an assassination plot by far-right extremists. I think it is a reminder of the pressures and strains of, of being an MP. Obviously, Rosie Cooper and what she was subjected to is, is an extreme example of that. But I think we all should worry that being an MP is becoming an increasingly unattractive prospect to, to, to people within Parliament and within politics. And ultimately... Uh, we will all be the worst for it if every if, if people decide that the abuse, the threats are not worth it. And I mean that is a real danger, and I think something that we should all, we should all reflect on today. Because I think I mean Katie is completely right that this by election is you know this is, I think is going is, I don't think this is going to be a particularly dramatic affair, right? You know it it, it it's it's a chunky Labour majority in midterm. As Katie said, you would expect to safely behold. It's the circumstance in which it has arisen, I think, that should, should probably concern us more. Katie and James, thanks very much. Um, and thank you to all of the listeners who've heeded our call for more coffee. Um, today we have been served by Oku Markets, who provided us with some alt coffee. Guys, did you, did you enjoy your coffee today? Very much enjoying it. I did a very early morning spin class and I was feeling a bit drowsy and I feel a lot more alert. Well, there we go. Katie and James, thanks very much.